The following podcast will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Fear of a Black Cat from 1993. If you've never seen the movie before or you want to take part in this series by watching the movie and submitting in a review, then press stop now. If, however, you have seen the movie before or you don't care, then just keep listening on. Don't say you weren't warned. It's Booyah! It's a year in the life of monster rappers and WH! Without a hat, we was exposed. Without a hat, we was sunstroked. African song was pure and good. Never needed a hat, just brought It jumped from the hood and blasted straight to the top of the charts. We are NWH, or niggas with hats. You brothers are gonna be large. Now the most locked out crew in hip-hop history exposes it all. Can't you guys just dance around like Hammer? Like Hammer, their hottest hits. My peanuts. Straight out of the butt. Booty juice. They philosophy. Butt is like society. That's heavy. Their politics. NWH, we had violence. Their competition. We got ice trade, ice coffee, ice water. They roll up. I got a lot of coffee and donuts in me. Don't push me. Their managers. Somebody, somebody gets killed. So get off your booty oh, yeah. and step to this movie. It's the death, chill, fresh thing to do. Fear of a black hat. Fear of a black hat, then subtitle, don't shoot until you see the whites. Of their eyes? Whose eyes? A year in the life of N.W.A. Fear of a black hat? Man, that's going to be crazy large. And welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is season two, episode number two. I'm your host, Duncan, and let's talk about what we're doing on season two. So, yeah, this one is four documentaries, found footage and mockumentaries all rolled up into one this season as we work our way through, instead of, like we did in the previous season, sticking with you know, movies that are kind of crime thrillers or horror movies. This time we're opening it up to pretty much anything. So it felt fitting in episode one to do Paranormal Activity, which is arguably one of the most successful and influential in modern times for film footage as we know it now. But if we're talking about like full documentaries or mockumentaries, I mean, there's a couple that spring to mind as, you know, the super important ones that you guys should be paying attention to. One is obviously This Is Spinal Tap, but the second one is a movie we're going to discuss on this episode, which is Fear of a Black Cat. Woefully underseen, but I guarantee when you watch this, if you don't laugh, it means you're dead inside. Um, the movie came out in 1993 is directed by Rusty Cundiff, who would go on and do the uh, um, Tales from the Hood uh, anthology. And it's still kind of involved with a lot of that stuff in there. Um, it has a great cast, <laughs> mostly Cundiff himself playing the character Ice Cold. But we've got Larry B. Scott doing Tasty Taste. Um, and uh, Mark Lawrence, who plays Tone Deaf. Now... This movie, very much like This Is Spinal Tap, which is predicated on your understanding of what rock bands were doing at the time, are just even some of the tropes that kind of rock stars exude, um, whether it's nods to things like Def Leppard, etc. It's, you know, it, it's, it's one that's 
full of in-jokes that if you're aware of the genre you get, but if you remove them, it's still funny. This is the same sort of idea here. Um, this is a play on the Public Enemy album, Fear of a Black Planet, but they change it to Fear of a Black Hat. They're obviously, just even from the characters, like Ice Cold and Tasty Taste and Tone Deaf, there is, you know, nods to NWA. This is basically a kind of tongue-in-cheek satirical look at early 90s, late 80s rap and where things were going. I think it is funnier. I might get in some trouble here. I think this movie's funnier than this is Spinal Tap, mostly because the delivery and the absurdity of the movie is what kind of really sells it the stereotypes that specifically the characters themselves are playing um, are like the precursor for what we see a lot of in rap music now like the idea of I need to have all the guns I need to be surrounded by women um, you know I am actually a pimp you know all these things became more commonplace and ingrained in the the genre itself kind of post 93 um, and that's the fun part of this is seeing how kind of weirdly ahead of its time impression it is towards the music but how it ridicules that as part of the culture that is exuded with the genre like all these things as you know what to be taken seriously as kind of black businessmen and black individuals at the same time though we go out our way to lavish ourselves with the things that would undermine that image it's, it's weirdly a powerful um, kind of statement, but at the same time is done in a very knowing and very fun way. The music in this is fucking bitching. So yeah, if once again you're of a certain age, uh, like myself, you kind of grew up with some of this music. Uh, sp I specifically grew up with NWA because my, my older brother fancied himself as a bit of a gangster uh, and listened to loads of it. So hearing the way they do things in this is kind of amazing. It, it does make me smile quite a bit. So you've got a great soundtrack. The story itself, I mean, it follows the formula that most uh, kind of mockumentaries will do. Um, you know, the band splitting up, the band getting back together, the kind of solo projects they all go off and have, how some of them kind of double down on the violence, some of them double down on the love, some of them go like completely off-piste altogether. There's an ongoing joke in here, specifically about, um, and as once again, it's a kind of nod towards the this is Spinal Tap. I think it's the bass player in that is constantly dying. Um, and this, you get a, a similar sort of joke, uh, which I won't give away because you should go and watch it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, any chance to say fuck and motherfucker um, they will say every second sentence in this one uh, but they all tick all the boxes of what you want, like if you remember that time and that scene, this movie will will deliver that this movie as well maybe is one of the most quotable movies you'll ever see I guarantee if you've never seen this before, this is full of one-liners that you will be using from now on. Be prepared to have your 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 dialogue with your friends dominated by, you know, just like catchphrases from this movie, um, which I think works really, really well. It's just a, another selling point for me. Uh, this is Spinal Tap. 
which I know we're making reference to, but you kind of have to in the same connection with the movies. Is another one that is just, you know, it's a movie that's instantly quotable. I think Fear of a Black Cat has more quotable sentences in there. It's shot very much like uh, like the kind of mockumentary style. Um, It's full of great music, very funny performances. It's over the top. It's ludicrous. You follow um, the band from the beginning of them trying to follow up a hit record through to them kind of reforming to play at this this gig and reclaim their status as the the ultra icons that they are. It's a very, very funny movie. I I really can't say much more about it um, because I'm hoping that you did watch it and you will bring to the table conversations that I think will be fun. That's that's my big thing. I think there's the prospect for a lot of fun on your reviews, specifically if you've never seen it before. But if it's been a wee while, I would recommend you go back and check it out. I think it's one of the finest examples of the full kind of documentary, mockumentary in the music scene. Like I say, I think this one personally is actually funnier uh, than um, This Is Spinal Tap, which I know a lot of people out there are going to disagree but I do, and you wouldn't think I would think that way and that I I don't listen to a lot of rap music nowadays, um, that I would still hold that belief, but it is very, very, very wickedly, wickedly funny. So yeah, your homework is to do some Fear of a Black Cat. Now, this episode is dropping out mid-February. This is basically what we're going to be doing now. It'll be middle of the month for where to begin with. So you have essentially a month to get your review in. So here's your date. This episode will drop on Sunday the 14th of March and your reviews of Fear of a Black Cat must be in no later than Thursday the 11th of March. So you have a month, four weeks, Thursday the 11th, episode will drop on Sunday the 14th of March for Fear of a Black Hat. I hope you enjoy it. I hope we uh, we get some really fun, quirky reviews. And if you like, like I say, if you're not smiling or laughing by the end of the movie, then you have no sense of humour, um, and you should hand back your humour card uh, or ask for it for Christmas. I want some humour for Christmas, please. Give me my funny bone back. Right, let's turn our attention to you guys, shall we? Um, the previous episode we picked off Paranormal Activity. It felt like a smart move to do that, get that one out the way because it's going to be covering everything that we do moving forward regardless. So that is what I asked you to do. Now you guys um, went all in. In fact, we've got quite a few to get through. So let's get into it, shall we? Starting off with uh, one from Jamie McCauley who says, "Eh, for where to begin with Paranormal Activity? Paranormal Activity is a good pick for me. This was where I started with film footage as I didn't watch The Blair Witch Project until later and at the time I only knew of the mainstream movies. I remember this was a movie that everyone was talking about when it was released and in typical horror fashion it was either the scariest movie ever or utter shite. I watched this last year for the summer series and didn't expect to be going back to anytime soon, but I did say that I was going to make an effort to get involved with reviews, so here we are. 
Unfortunately, this movie doesn't age well for me. That's not in the sense that it's a bad movie, because I loved it when I first saw it. But I still enjoy it to a point. I also think my tastes have definitely changed. If I was doing this review 10 years ago, I'd be singing its praises much more. One thing that remains the same is my dislike of Mika. Back when this first came out, I found him annoying, and now I wish the guy died earlier every time. My hatred of him became clear reading my notes, when other lines contained Misha as a dick, or some other word at the end of that sentence. The absolute shit the guy comes out with to justify his murder at the end, I mean, like not telling Katie to call in a demon specialist, saying bring in people such as exorcists so we can make things worse, and then in the next shot he's getting excited to play with a Ouija board, and if he was going to save the day. If they fleshed out the backstory, I'm convinced he would have failed high school or college sports player or never made it and he was desperate to find something to make him famous and capture paranormal footage. No wonder Katie wasn't going to strip for the camera for him or film themselves having sex because guaranteed he'd be leaking it himself. Thankfully, Kate was a much better character with an interesting backstory. I enjoyed the way her story was told with the ghost expert. I felt it was well done in how it gave just enough information without slowing the movie down or or overcomplicating things, which they left for the sequels. Katie felt believable and her performance conveyed the terror that that character was going through. The scares and tension are definitely the best part of the movie. Having just watched this at midnight in the dark, it shreds the nerves hearing the kind of Scotland sounds, the knocks and the whispers. Also, my cat sleeping in the hallway outside my bedroom door decided to move around every time then it <laughs> every time it went to nighttime camera was fucking unsettling. Overall, it's a good movie, and I highly recommend it to anyone to check out for a first watch. However, it will be a while before I watch it again for sure. Thanks very much for sending that in, Jamie. I think me and you are in a similar boat with that one. I just struggle overall with the movie over time. It doesn't. It lost its impact with me, but I think we both agree its prominence and merit within the genre. Next up, we're going to swing to an audio review sent in from our good buddy, uh, David Garrett Jr., who says... Hello, Duncan and T-Puts Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here back again for Where to Begin With. And I was pretty excited, Duncan, when I saw that you were going to shift us over now to be covering the like found footage and faux documentary type movies as this is one that I've kind of gotten into a lot after college. So I'm kind of curious to see how many of these that will pop up that I've actually seen before. So the first one that was selected here of... Paranormal Activity is one that, much like yourself, I saw this one when I was in college and went to the theater and was completely terrified from it. Now, I probably got sucked into the hype a bit, but I'll admit, this movie still works for me. I know a lot of people don't really necessarily like it and a lot of people find it to be boring. I don't really kind of necessarily agree with that. Now, I believe I've seen this one five times now by my count. And like I said, much like you, Duncan, I also had did a bootleg download of this when my sister came to visit so we could watch it. I believe the copy that I had downloaded at that time had all of the like alternate endings as a part of it as well. 
but this film still gets my anxiety going. I personally don't believe in ghosts or demons, but from what I do know, you can't normally just catch it on a camera. So I think the realism is something that is brought to that with, you know, not being able to see things, but able to hear it though. The noises and the other things that happen can be subtle, but efficient. The realism is also helped by the fact that this is found footage. It just adds to something that we're getting here. Now there are issues here with found footage films where you need someone to always be carrying a camera. I like the idea that Micah here isn't really taking this seriously, and if he is, he thinks that he can take care of it. And I mean, this is possibly, you know, that arrogance of just being a guy. Now, it does cause him to be a bit of a jerk as well, and always filming things even when it bothers Katie. I believe from his personality that he would do exactly as we are seeing here. The scariest things happen at night, and I like that they have like a wide lens here and that it's stationary so we can catch all of this. The camera set up in a place that's a perfect angle to be able to see, you know, especially when they're in bed and then catch that hallway that is beside them. This is also something that I've wanted to do, but I'm too scared of what will happen if I, you know, watch myself while I'm asleep. I also could argue that the real villain in this movie is him for challenging this entity when he doesn't really necessarily know anything about it. And there's just some hubris there about, you know, what he does and, you know, tries to do there. I think the pacing of this film is good. It doesn't waste any time establishing the characters, the plot, and the backstory. It's given to us in a unique way of through this psychic and, you know, giving the background information there. The haunting of this film progresses in a way that I also feel is believable and definitely gets worse. The tension builds to that fateful night that everything happens. I like the ending, and with the hindsight and knowing this becomes a series, I think it's the perfect setup to build for where we go from here. Now, I do know there are creepier endings, and obviously what you had brought up about Steven Spielberg being the one to tell him to change the ending, but I think it's the right choice if you want to do a you know series of films like we do. Now, the acting here can be hit or miss for me with found footage. We really just follow our two stars here. I think Katie Featherston is great in showing fear and the terror of the events. She has been living with this most of her life from what we would see in some of the other movies, and I think she presents that well to us. I feel bad for her and can see how this is affecting her. She seems real in the emotions that she is presenting, and she's also kind of cute for me in that girl-next-door type of way, which I think also adds a little bit of something where I kind of feel bad for her. Now, Micah Slout, I actually hated after these last couple of viewings that I've had, but he is needed for the film. He's a jerk because he isn't taking this seriously, and on top of that, he's actually making things worse as well. I do think he is believable, though, as, you know, what we need, and the rest of the cast just round this out to fill things. Now, for the effects, there aren't really much that we get here, and what we do get to see is, like, something walking through powder later in the film, but we actually never see the entity. There is a trick with the shadows that we get to see, which, that does freak me out, and I'm not necessarily sure why, but it makes me feel uncomfortable. There is something at the end that I found to be fitting for what they were going for, being that it's found footage... It does feel like we're really watching these films and that it could be a documentary of these, you know, events that were happening. And the last thing I kind of want to bring up here as well is that I do like that they didn't add music to this. And that really the only time we get it, it would be diegetic and it's actually being played in the movie and our characters can hear it. But what I will say is that the sound designs of things banging and other things like that help in this category as well. The use of ambient noise is very effective for me. So I'm going to stop gushing on this movie. I think it's pretty divisive though as you know everybody always kind of brings up there are many as i said that think that nothing really happens but i beg to differ i think this is an effective found footage ghost film the realism that comes with it adds something for me and it builds 
in a way that makes me feel anxious. The acting is good enough and add to the realism along with the soundtrack being all ambient. This film is more subtle but also realistic look at a haunting for what we know. Overall though I found this to be a really good movie and even after multiple viewings I think it still stands up and still makes me anxious much after that first viewing when it probably shouldn't have. So Duncan, my rating here would be a 4.5 out of 5 on the T-Put scale. And I'm pretty intrigued that the movie you have for the next one is one that I've never actually heard of. So I'm definitely going to see about how I can source a copy and where I can watch this at and, you know, jump on that as soon as possible. Because I will say that the title of Fear of a Black Hat really has me intrigued. So just to kind of close this out here, thank you once again for everything that you do. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to hear the other listeners what they thought about paranormal activity to see how many of them kind of fall in line with me and you know kind of go against everything like that but this is david garrett jr signing off and huge thanks to david garrett jr for submitting in his review always great to hear from you buddy uh yeah i'm going to be really interested to see what you make of fear of a black cat uh, we've never done anything out with horror on this show uh, and this one definitely isn't horror it is a ton of fun though so we'll see We'll see where you land with that. Just depends on your sense of humour, I suppose. Right, Tim Walker has joined the free here, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Tim does stuff on Movie Club for Podcasts Under the Stairs, and he did say he would make an effort to try and get himself involved with Teapot's Collective. Sadly, missed out on all the Jallo ones, which, I mean, if ever there was a series to make this guy interested, it would have been those. Although, I don't think I brought anything fresh to the table over there, Tim. I would have put them cold hard cash you'd seen all the ones I suggested just knowing your background anyway let's get to what Tim says he says dear Duncan and Teapots Collective people well it's my first review for the Teapots Collective sadly I missed out on the Jallo films I've just literally said this sorry I missed out on all the Jallo films because I hadn't caught with the show until the last one and then ran into a shitstorm of bad luck with no free time in the last couple of weeks so no reviews for my favourite subgenre of horror the Jallo Bummer. However, all is not lost. I am a fan of film footage movies as well. I love the realism of them and strangely I enjoy watching film footage movies even if I don't really like the film. It's hard to explain. Uh, I've even begun a personal tradition of saving a new film footage movie to watch on one of my nights off work, even if the movie sucks. I enjoy getting a bowl of popcorn ready, putting on a film footage horror flick, at least as my first movie on my nights off. For some reason, even the bad ones are fun and tend to put me in a really good mood. What about movie number one in Where to Begin with Film Footage series, Paranormal Activity? Well, I've seen it before. It was probably a year or two after it was in the theatres, so I missed a lot of the initial hype. Frankly, I didn't think much of it at the time, but it was hard to explain why. I was told by so many people how intense and scary it was and I do recall those trailers with the crowd reactions and people jumping and tossing their popcorn in the air and such. Yeah, that wasn't quite my reaction, it was more like boredom. It was an ineffective but again it was hard to explain why. However, I did give it another watch or two over the years uh, with the sequels as I recall and whilst I wasn't quite as dim on it, it didn't improve much. It was still kind of neutral to it. I admire how it was made and it was simple and an effective idea. Also, I had to acknowledge that without this movie, a lot of film footage and full documentary movies I've grown to love might never have been made. 
movies that have an intense love for, like like Mungo, Savage Land, The Bay, and even WNUF Halloween Special. By the way, if anyone hasn't seen Savage Land and you in any way like found footage, get on it for God's sake. Anyway, I was determined with this viewing that even if the movie didn't improve for me, I could at least determine exactly what didn't work for me, and I think I've nailed it down, in that I just wasn't engaged with it. The scares don't work, and the characters definitely didn't work. Both Mika and Katie are thoroughly unlikable and unsympathetic a couple, dare I say douchebags, and I couldn't give two shits whether they were scared or being dragged or tossed around the room. I didn't care whether the ghost wanted to kill them, put on a show for them, or play Uno together. That's the problem. I know every character in a film doesn't have to be a nice person, but I need some sliver of a reason to give a shit about what happens to them. Anything. With these two, I got nothing. And the scares fall flat. All of them. So yeah, not a big improvement. I'm torn on my rating for this one. It would either be a neutral two and a half, uh, or five, uh, sorry, two, two and a half out of five, or barely a three out of five. Maybe it feels like I'm being generous today, or maybe I just wasn't in the mood for a film footage film when I saw it, but I gave it a three out of five. This movie's role in ramping up the number of film footage flicks has to endear it to me a little bit, and well, here's hoping that the next film might be one I like a bit more. You shouldn't have t- much to fear. Uh, of that with the Cronenberg films going on in the main show's movie club. Take care, Duncan, and the Teapots Collective folk. Tim, welcome, Tim. Uh, Hopefully you enjoy your stay here. We ain't sticking with horror for the whole series, so you will be doing all manner of weird and wonderful ones. But yeah, I will double down with you. Savage Land is a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, shunt it up your list. In the UK, I believe it's still on Amazon Prime. So, no excuse not to check it out. Hopefully it's streaming somewhere. I dare say you'll keep us up to date with that over in the States. Right, this brings us to our final review of this episode. And we have coming in to join us, uh, the lovely Kate Pollock. Kate says... Hey Duncan and Teapots listeners, it's Kate Pollock here. Um, And we are beginning our new chapter in Where to Begin With. And this time we're starting with Paranormal Activity. I can't imagine that there are many horror fans who haven't seen this found footage movie. It's iconic, it's spawned a huge franchise and became the second most financially successful movie of all time based on its return. And why is this? I mean, it's a very simple premise. You've two main cast members, more or less ad-lib scenes, some night vision, and aside from a few bits of kind of clever special effects here and there, we don't even really see anything. But for me, this film is all about atmosphere. I first saw this with my best mate. We were at her house on a Saturday night. We had all the lights off. Um, It was on um, like a rental. We'd have probably been about, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old, and both of us shat a brick. We slept with the light on that night and even refused to go to the loo by ourselves. This movie really shook us up. And as I've said, not much happens, but it's the stuff that doesn't happen. It's the things that you don't see that make it scary. Really plays with your imagination. After that first nighttime scene when we hear the footsteps, from that moment we're on alert, watching every inch of the screen, waiting for the next thing to happen. And often nothing does happen but you get yourself psyched up waiting for that jump scare. It's really effective. Um, Like the only movie that kind of really comes to mind 
that creates that kind of tension with good effects is last year's The Invisible Man. You know, um, it's really, I think just because we're, we're now, we've now seen these kinds of things a lot, we're kind of jaded to it. So I think it's really rare that you actually find films that do this to such good effect. And as I said, The Invisible Man from last year is the only one I can think of of, of late that does that. So back to Paranormal Activity, we then establish from like relatively early on this pattern that things generally seem to happen at night either around 1am or 3am or both so when we see the night vision get turned on we're immediately on high alert by the end of the film as the scares grow more obvious and in your face though still remaining pretty simple um, and they become more frequent your nerves are just wrecked and I've literally sat with full grown adults myself included hiding behind pillows and peeking between your fingers and I was like that when I first watched it and honestly I'm still like that now even watching it this time around with a critical eye and frequently pausing it to make notes I still had to watch an episode of New Girl before I went to bed and I slept with the light on I don't give a fuck that shit just gets me I mean things like the time lapse where we see Katie just stood over the bed for hours especially the time when she stood right over Mika it's just so unnerving and creepy and then there are bigger moments like the footprints um, on the floor in the powder or Katie being dragged from the bed I just feel my stomach drop I also really love the bit where Mika follows the footprints up to the attic and brings the camera to look around. Now, it's quite funny because I haven't seen this film um, in a few years. Um, but in that time, I've watched Wrecked for the first time. And it's just quite funny because this film was either filmed before or around the same time. And yet, it's really similar to a moment in Wreck I mean, um, when you know we have a bit of a pan around an attic. Um, nothing pops out in paranormal activity, um, though I do like the implication of, you know, what it means to buy, find that burned photo. Um, but the whole moment is just so tense and unsettling. The timing in this film is really great as well. They often use moments, um, you know, that we're lulled into, um, you know, thinking that we're okay. Um, they use those moments to then pounce in with something else. All the moments that you think it will happen because we're lulled but it doesn't and then it happens like a beat later to really catch you off guard again it's just so so good so effective and uh yeah it's it's yeah it's very effective <laughs> um another thing that i liked was how there's really no messing around although mika remains skeptical or i mean or you know at least he's not taking it as seriously as katie um but because where this is something that Katie's been living with in one form or other since the age of eight, she doesn't need convincing. There's none of the usual kind of build up before they start to believe and then eventually do something about it. So in the first act, we get a psychic arrive. And then, you know, the introduction of this character is really refreshing. He seems quite reasonable, rational even. You know, he, he quickly states that most paranormal activity quote-unquote is you know actually down to perfectly normal and logical things there are no theatrics with him you know he's not like this gypsy with loads of black and you know all of this none of that um you know and even when he starts to give credence to what katie's telling him he admits it's not even his area and refers them to a colleague so it's not like he's conning them either 
And in fact, later on, when he returns, I mean, he can't get out of there quick enough despite the day's travel that it's taken for him to get there in the first place. So, yeah, so I thought his inclusion was really, like, natural. I thought it worked really well. And another thing that grounds the movie in reality is the opening and final moments when we're told, all very sombre and serious, that the movie makers would like to thank the families of Mika and Katie, not Mika and Katie themselves, you'll note, as well as the police police department. And all this indicates from the get-go that this movie does not have a happy ending, that Mika and Katie likely do not survive. And it also, you know, it sets the scene, because we're already to make, uh, sorry, we're already made to feel this sense of dread. The final moments simply state that Mika's body was found a few days later after the events shown on tape and that Katie's has never been found. Again, no theatrics, it's all very sombre, respectful, you know, of the dead, I guess. And there aren't even any end credits aside from the copyrights right at the end, but for a good few minutes, maybe even more, there's just no sound, there's no music, it's just black. It's so haunting and I can imagine how like shook the audiences would have been watching this at the cinema with that sort of, you know, last moments of the jump scare with Katie's face suddenly morphing into the demon's face for that split second before the camera cuts and then nothing apart from this respectful kind of thing of what's happened to them and then nothing, just black. So, yeah, and then in addition to that, like, you've got the fact that all the actors are unknown, their real names are used, um, you know, their character names are their names, so when you go onto, like, IMDb or whatever, you know, Mika is played by Mika Sloat and things, and really none of them have gained great fame outside of this franchise, so it all creates a really convincing illusion that this could be real. This is a technique that we're all very kind of jaded with by now um but at the time the most famous use of this sort of thing was Blair Witch Project you know where the marketing campaign literally convinced most people that the footage was was genuine and although I very much suspected that this was not the case with paranormal activity it didn't stop me checking IMDb just in case (laughs) so yeah this movie excels at creating very effective suspense and atmosphere without having to do very much and it just does it well i mean sure there are you know the old movie here and there that have also done it but at the time it was relatively original so as i've said i've mentioned that like i've seen this a few times before but this time i viewed the movie with more of a critical eye and um some of the things that didn't really work for me um one of them is I mean, okay, yeah, Mika being a twat isn't news, but I just never realised how much of a twat he is. I mean, the guy is so arrogant and smarmy, and he's just such a knob to Katie. Um, You know, he's really disrespectful to her and and pretty much everyone else. Um, You know, sort of peak moment of this is, despite having promised that he wouldn't, he goes out and gets a Ouija board and uses this bullshit pedantic excuse when Katie quite rightly loses her shit about it that he didn't buy it he borrowed it oh fuck off like it's just ah it's just this real immaturity that he has um this real kind of smugness he has to you know he always has to be the smartest person in the room yeah you know he's the paranormal expert in this situation not the person who's lived with it all her life and certainly not the qualified doctor in his field you know 
He delays Katie from calling the demonologist when Dr. Fredericks can't help. And after weeks of persuading her to hold off because he has such bright ideas, the, the demonologist is then out of the country when they do eventually call and obviously can't help them. So if Mika had just gotten over himself and let Katie call him earlier on, then it's possible the whole situation could have turned out quite differently and they may have been able to have been helped. But then, you know, there'd be no movie. So, <laughs> and I understand that, like, you know, his arrogance and twattishness means, you know, it's a means to progress the story. But, oh, God, dude, you know, like, if things had gone differently and they had actually survived, I'd like to think that Katie would have left his sorry ass, you know? <laughs> Um, but you know, you, as, as well, you could say that there is some satisfaction in Mika's outcome. It's kind of just certs in a way within the realms of movie. Obviously, if this was real, then that's harsh. <laughs> but in the realms of it's just a movie, you know. But despite the frustrations felt towards the characters, the actors actually do a really great job in their portrayals. You know, their chemistry is believable, especially between the two leads. Um, it's very natural. Their responses to all the scary things that are happening around them seem very genuine. Katie's performance as well is so sincere. Like, you really just feel the exhaustion and despair just come off her in waves. And when she cries, your heart goes out to her. You feel this kind of empathy. And as a result, you start to wonder what you would do in this situation. And I don't know about anybody else but I have no fucking idea what I would do and although I don't care much for Mika I do genuinely want Katie to be okay and to escape her predicament which just seems to get worse day by day this is partly because no matter where she goes it will follow her it's another original concept granted it's cropped up here and there since most notably in films like Insidious or you know even it follows um, and this, this is the concept that it's not a house haunting, but a person haunting. The lore is explored here too, but only insofar as our protagonists explore it. And I think that's really good because we don't need all the answers. It's quite fun to surmise for ourselves. Albeit, I do believe that the lore is gone into more detail in the subsequent sequels and, and the prequel. I haven't actually seen them myself to know for definite, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that they do go into it a bit more or a lot more. Um, one aspect that I would have liked to have seen more, though, is um, the bits with Diane, the girl who died uh, from the exorcism and things. She was possessed and then died. Um, not necessarily to get more information, but just to see a bit more of the action. I'd normally say it was probably due to budget, but, um, you know, there was actually more footage of that whole thing, of her being possessed and things. And it just ended up on the cutting room floor. The amount that is included just... I don't know, it just kind of felt a bit shoehorned for me. Um, it didn't really go anywhere and it wasn't overly necessary, so it just kind of came off as a bit of filler at times. Um, I haven't seen, as I said, I haven't seen beyond like the second sequel, so I don't know if this is something that they return to later on down the line, but you know, the film wasn't made with the sequels in mind, nor are we reviewing the franchise as a whole, so I'll only critique it based on this first movie. And its inclusion in this first movie just kind of felt a bit forced but generally speaking this is a really fucking great film and one i'll watch every kind of few years or so usually with friends and a bunch of snacks and some drinks definitely not when i'll be alone afterwards um and you know even if you don't like it you know it's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea you can't deny the impact and influence that it's had on horror i mean it basically kick-started the found footage genre in a way that we know it today um you know there had been other, as I said, Blair Witch and things like that. There had been others, but this really kind of got it going again um, for the mainstream. 
And as I mentioned before, you know, it launched this huge franchise that, what, some 13 years on, is still going. And considering how this was sort of made in this tiny little $15,000 budget with like a handful of unknowns and a first-time director, it's a really great underdog story that I really love to root for, to be honest. So yeah, it's a four point, uh, no, four out of five, sorry, for me. Um, yeah, really, really love, well, not love, but really, really like this movie um, and would recommend it to pretty much anyone, even like people who aren't straight up horror fans, but kind of maybe like to dabble every now and then like i think it's something that a lot of people can get a lot from so yeah thanks very much duncan great start to the new series and i'm really excited to hear what we'll be covering next um and you know as usual what other people think of the movie paranormal activity so yeah thanks very much bye and thanks very much to kate for submitting in her review always great to hear from you kate so there you have it that's the the peeps spoke You've heard their reviews of Paranormal Activity. You've got your homework. You have until the 11th of March to submit your reviews in for Fear of a Black Cat, a full documentary, mockumentary comedy. In terms of where we go next, we're going back into the horror genre and we're sticking in the early 90s. This is one that genuinely terrified me the first time I saw it. It's probably going to have more of an affinity if you grew up in the UK. Uh, specifically if you saw it at the time but movie number three on the list is Ghost Watch uh, this debuted on Halloween night in 1992 on the BBC in the UK which still to this day blows my mind so Ghost Watch will be movie number three and I look forward to telling you why I chose it on the next episode which will be dropping on the 14th of March so there you go ladies and gents So, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for checking out this episode. Get in touch and become part of the series. The more people that take part in this show, the more fun it is overall. And until I speak to you next time, take care. Bye, everyone.